Welcome to another edition of the Minnesota Beer Cast. We are recording this episode live from Grumpy's. Yeah, First time here? Always recording live. Well, okay, we. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm getting getting a little tired. <laughs> you snark. I'm Schmitty. <laughs> I am Drew, and uh, thank you for uh, spending some of your Friday night with us. Or if you're downloading this on podcast or the iHeartRadio app or iTunes or whatever you use, uh, we really appreciate it. Make sure to tell your friends. Yeah, absolutely. Be- before we get into uh, this week's episode, uh, we do want to uh, make a note. Uh, we are going to be at the Rochester Craft Beer. Expo on Saturday, the fifth. Mm-hmm. That's all. De, Cinco de Mayo. That's all. I just want to let everybody know. If you're in Rochester, come down. If you're not in Rochester, go to Rochester. Yeah. Enjoy some fine craft beverage. I, I don't know the status of uh, of ticket availability. That that is an event that usually sells out. You should go check the website. If there's none available, then shame on you for shame not getting you. there in time. Uh, we'll be hosting the uh, the education seminars at the Rochester Craft Beer Expo as we are wont to do. Uh, usually recording a couple of shows worth of worth of interviews and everything out there. So please, if you are going to be out at the Rochester Expo, uh, swing by the education area. We'll be lingering about there throughout the uh, throughout the day and say hello. Yeah, come say hi, buy us a drink. What's uh, what's going on next week? I, I understand uh, you might have you might have booked us for something next week. I did. Uh, if you're if you're available Friday evening, I, I I don't know that I am. Do you, do you like video games? Well, yeah. Okay, because Bad Weather's got an arcade going on all weekend long uh, at the brewery. They're, uh, they're going to be celebrating the, uh, the video game lifestyle. They're going to be releasing some, some beers, and they're going to be uh, setting up an arcade. It's a fantastic event. Uh, I went to it last year with my family. It's a very family-friendly event. Uh, they've got uh, a whole slew of games set up so folks can come have some beer and play some video games. All right, well, that, it uh, sounds like a fun time. I uh, will have to check my my calendar to make sure i'm available but if uh, if not friday night we will be uh, we'll do something out of bad weather next weekend so stay on uh, stay on top of our social media uh mn underscore beercast on twitter or just search minnesota beercast on facebook and we will put an update on there once we've uh, finalized those plans and to uh to, i guess preview this show we've got Man, oh, 19 guests here today. We got a lot. <laughs> we are. We, we kind of took over the uh, the back patio here at Grumpy's. Uh, Tony, a, a longtime bartender here at Grumpy's, is is playing host to us, and thank you for for graciously putting us out here in the in the backyard and, and feeding us beers and and whiskey and uh, putting up with us. Tony, thank you very My much. Pleasure. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, also on the show, we've got Bartley from Bent Brewstillery. He's going to talk about some new stuff, some events he's got going on. We've got some of the folks from Dangerous Man are going to swing by and we've got friend of the show joe shea as well uh, let's get into it right off the bat and talk with bartley uh welcome back to the show man yeah great to be here especially on the the back patio of grumpy's northeast yeah it's kind of the uh one of the i guess landmarks of the fine uh fine section of town we're in it is highly respected yeah, absolutely landmarks yes. we're uh you've, i've got a cocktail here in front of me bartley what what is this this fine looking beverage well this is something special you know i know this is the beer cast but uh you know whenever i'm around it always turns into the what does drew and smitty like change it to cast. beverage cast, right? um but uh, yeah we're besides beer we did bring a little bit of whiskey today this is punish rye it's a punish 95 it's a 95 percent rye grain bill and it's 95 proof and uh, just to twist it a little bit like we normally twist everything we make it is finished on charred pimento wood if you're familiar with pimento wood pimento is what they use to smoke jerk chicken 
It's the Alino pimento from my olives. Yes, it, it is the source of the olive <laughs> stuffer as well. Yeah, I know. But uh, yeah, again, it, it, the, the pimento wood adds to the spiciness of the rye. Rye is known as a big, bold, spicy whiskey because rye bread is different than wheat bread. Mm -hmm. Rye has that dry bite to it. Rye whiskey does as well. So you finish it with this uh, pimento wood, it actually complements that. And to further complement that, what we are doing is barrel aging uh, Manhattan cocktail. So we take our rye whiskey, mix it with vermouth, and age it in a little barrel for about 30 days. This is what you're drinking right now. This is with uh, the Manhattan that's been barrel aged for 30 days, a little bit of bitters, and a custom made cherry as well. We take cherries and we soak them in our barrel aged spiced rum called Stormbringer and a couple of cinnamon sticks. And it makes a phenomenal cherry if you're a cherry fan. But it works really well in this to complement and add to the little bit of sweetness to counteract the dryness of the rye. But using these, this, these two ingredients in the right proportions, you get a nice dry but sweet finish. Yeah, this is much better than the Manhattans I make at home. Yeah. Like I, I've, been, I've been doing the, the Manhattans quite a bit lately, actually. And, and I guess maybe it's that late winter kind of get me through till the warm weather gets here yeah, yeah. you know type of beverage and i'm like that's eh, what 10 o'clock at night dad's not quite ready for bed yet let's 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 have pour, a manhattan yeah, let's have a manhattan yeah. just kind of ease into uh into the midnight hour right like everything it's all about the constituent ingredients this is what makes a great cocktail what makes a great anything is what goes into making that compound and we're talking about a manhattan here it's very simple there's two products both of them are going to stand out very prominently so you want to use the right rye, and I would wholeheartedly suggest Punish 95. <laughs> <laughs> Endorsed. Maybe I'm biased. Endorsed. Uh, but, but also we found a great, through, through painstaking experimental process, we found a great vermouth to go with it. Now, this is a plug, but we are in no way right, helping them in any here. way, but it's <laughs> Noily Pratt, which is a, a French vermouth. And it just complements our rye perfectly. You know, we can't make this stuff up. We just try it, try it with all the ones we can find, and whichever one works perfectly is the one we go with. It happens to be Noily Pratt. So, so it, this, this cocktail you've, you've made for us, this barrel-aged Manhattan, is this something that folks can only get when they come do the beer cast, or can they go get this out in the marketplace? This is something that is slowly creeping its way into off or on sale bars and restaurants. Um, we're getting it in as, as quickly as we can, but this process does take time. Um, you will go to a lot of your favorite uh, the bars and restaurants, and mm -hmm. if they don't have it yet, ask them to get it. Um, with any, any on-premise consumption place, uh, i.e. bar mm. or restaurant, right. if they will give us a cocktail listing, we'll give them a free barrel to do their own aging. Hey, there you go. So we have these custom-made engraved barrels that we will give to the the location free in Someone order to do their own barrel aging. Someone listening wants to take you up on that. What's the best way to get in touch with you? Call me. 
Well, okay. <laughs> or talk to me. Okay. Um, yes, Bartley at BenPristillery.com. There you go. Or, That's what I'm looking for. Or you can call you can call our hotline. Um, everything's findable, of course, via social media and, um, and website and all that sort of stuff. But um, our distributor is Johnson Brothers, so every single location out there uses Johnson Brothers in one way, form, or fashion, and Phillips. So it's it's achievable quite easily and you guys have and some, get some fun events going on too coming up this this oh, weekend yeah. i guess it's going to be well absolutely well we've got uh, a whole lot of stuff we'll we'll briefly hit our our may the fourth be with you event i know other people have a lot of things to talk about on that one but uh, ours isn't quite as involved as most others we just have a uh, a tapping of dark father mm-hmm. which is our american imperial stout and um after that, May 26th is our crawfish boil. It's our fourth annual crawfish boil. We've been doing this Mark for a while. Mark your calendars for this one, This guys. one goes I'm crazy. Yes, this is awesome. We have crawfish, and if you're not into the crawfish, we have uh, chicken and sausage jambalaya. Ooh. And for the kids... We've got hot dogs, snow cones, cotton candy, that sort of stuff. So it's going to be a kid-friendly event, furry or otherwise. Bring your dog. Who else is going to eat all the scraps off the table? How many <laughs> pounds of crawfish did you end up? Because uh, we talked about this last year. Last we year had we had 1,300 pounds of crawfish. Wow. Good Lord. 1,300 pounds. That's amazing. That's over half a ton. <laughs> and that is Are you looking to double that, triple that this year? What do you think? You know, we're looking to increase it by a certain amount, and that is yet to be determined. It all depends upon how much publicity we get and <laughs> all that sort of stuff. So I, I can order all the way up to uh, two days before. Uh-huh. So we'll wait and reserve judgment. Yeah. You know, But we do expect there to be a growth from the 2,500 people we had last year to maybe 3,500 this year. That's awesome. So, I'm telling you, mark your calendars and get there early. This is a, this is a, an amazing event, and you don't get anything like this in the Twin Cities. You nope, don't find a is, crawfish boil it is, in the Twin Cities. It is the true crawfish experience as well. This is a true Louisiana style. This isn't bland crawfish. This is right in your face, spicy, Cajun, bland, and super flavorful crawfish. This is the right way to do it. Plus, we'll now, be serving if cocktails from that day. from the Minnesota Beer Cast were to show up at the crawfish <laughs> boil, yeah. might there be like a special Minnesota Beer Cast line? <laughs> <laughs> you know, luckily enough, we are really good at this, and there is never a line. Oh, wow. All right. So but we can talk about a friends and family discount. Is it now, of course, okay, now now the entire Minnesota Speaking Beer Cast Smitty, population is going to come in and say, yeah, I'm from the Minnesota Beer Cast. <laughs> There's only two of us. I know. But we do like, need a yeah. hell of a lot. <laughs> I'm from the crew. I'm the one who lugs their their uh, cooler around. The roadies. Yeah, we don't I, have I carry roadies. his laptop. I, I carry his mic. Talk about it. You didn't have to fully acknowledge it. You can talk about it. <laughs> yeah, right? uh, that's right. Exactly. I need to learn to be more political. Tony's is, right. How does, how does one take advantage of the, is it per bowl, full can can buy it or how do they how do they take advantage of the crawfish boil? It is. It's a it's fifteen bucks for a plate and a pint, and your pint is anywhere our standard beers, and your plate can either be crawfish and corn and taters, or it can be uh, a plate of jambalaya. Now you can also get just a plate for ten bucks, and not the pint along with it. That or seems really silly. New for this year. <laughs> new for this year, we're doing all you can eat. Oh, for thirty-five bucks. Oh. All now, right. What's the date on this again? The twenty-six. This is twenty-six. The All Saturday right. of Memorial Day weekend. Mark your calendars, everybody. I will be there. Yep. Right. And we're going to be, be serving cocktails that day too. As a Bruce Dillery, we make both. This is the day we're going to be serving both, and we're featuring the Minnesota Hurricane. 
It is just like a Louisiana hurricane. That was going to be my, that was gonna be my question. Except made with our Stormbringer spiced rum and a whole bunch of fruit juices. And that's your recommended pairing with the... the with the crawfish, absolutely. There you with go. anything you eat. With anything <laughs> you do. But holding a hot dog, you should have a hurricane in your hand. With your Cheerios, damn it. Exactly. <laughs> All right. We are out of time cool. this segment. We are recording on location. Is that better? Uh, Grumpy's in Northeast. We've got a lot to get to. Well, we were live on uh, location. We are recording Always. live on location. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back after this. Right, welcome back to the Minnesota Beer Cast. Recording on location live from Grumpy's. Shut up, Schmitty. <laughs> Don't say a word. I am Drew. That is my co-host, Schmitty. I do want to remind you, best way to get to the show, uh, if you uh, don't listen live, Friday nights at 8 on uh, Twin Cities News Talk, uh, check out the iHeartRadio app. It's free. It's easy to download. And the Minnesota BeerCast has its own dedicated channel on the app. So just download the app, hit the little podcast button, search for Minnesota BeerCast. You'll find our own dedicated channel, and you'll get notifications every time a new episode is uploaded. There you have it. Best way to get the show. It really is the best way to get the show. It's free and easy. So, uh, as you mentioned, we are hanging out on the back patio here at Grumpy's, I guess, landmark here of Northeast Minneapolis. I think uh, that's fair to say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tony, a longtime bartender here at, at Grumpy's, uh, playing host today. Thanks for having us, sir. Yeah. It's, uh, it's my now, pleasure. We're joined when he by, says uh, long time, how long are we talking? Uh, so, I, I tell these kids that hang out here um, that I've worked here for 18 years, and they're like, well, I was in diapers. <laughs> yeah. so they're good at making me feel old. <laughs> seen a lot of people come and go, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Customers, staff, everybody. It's, you know, I watch people, you know, kids that used to come in with their parents. Now they come in with their, ki- you know, with their kids or whatever. Right. Well, what is it about Grumpy's? I mean, uh, that's a long time for anybody really to be at any job. It uh, is. What is it about? Lo- what is it about Grumpy's that has made you uh, made you call it home for this long? You know, I think, I mean, really what it is, it's, it's the customers. It's it's Pat. It's uh, it's just the community in Northeast. I mean, it's who's, who's Pat? Pat is the owner of Grumpy's. He's the, the uh, he's the heart and soul of this bar. Um, he's the head chief decision maker, and uh, he saw a long time ago, you know, kind of uh, the writing on the wall when he put a firkin of uh, Lake Superior beer on the wall in nineteen ninety on the bar in nineteen ninety nine, and people were like, "Why on what God's earth is there a keg of beer sitting on the bar? This makes no sense at all." And uh, in the eighteen years that you've been here. Obviously, uh, you know you were you were here long before the explosion growth of craft beer, yep. right? Um, how has that changed what you do, if it has at all? I mean, what, how has you know the the, the the growth of craft beer, the growth of local beer, and all of the tons of breweries that have popped up? You know, not just in the Twin Cities, but in Minnesota and, and Wisconsin and Iowa and everywhere else. Has that has that impacted what you do and, and changed the way you uh, the way you go about your business? Oh yeah, it's it's made decision making a lot harder because everyone's so nice, but they all want your tap line. You know, it's um, you know years ago when Pat bought the bar, there was three three tap lines. We have twenty now, um, and where his 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 whole theory, his strategy has always been local first, regional second. So if it's not something you know like Summit and that kind of stuff, then it became you know Bells and you know so on. Back then it was I don't know stuff whatever Tiranina things like that. Um, and now it's it's just exploded and, and we have to be very conscious of our 20 tap lines whereas we used to be able to put anything that said IPA on tap and it would sell people are a lot smarter than that now you know and they're they're picky and uh, it leads me to a question and you're not 
Pat. So, you know, feel free to defer if you need to. But the conversation I have with folks a lot of times is about, I guess, quality versus local. Oh, absolutely. How do you guys make that delineation? I think we make it by not, you know, we, we've made, there are people that come in every single week. It's like, cool, thanks for coming in and dropping these samples off. But we're, no, we're not, you know, I mean. Yeah, Do you that's, say that's that, a, though? Do you say? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> that's but, going through your head. <laughs> right. Um, but you also, we're not buying a keg from you this week or next week, and we didn't. There's a, or the week after that. There are, there are a few breweries that, you know, we love them, but, eh, you know. Um, but God bless them for trying. God. They're going to be here. And at some point, are you, are you hoping that they they provide uh, a product where you're like, you know what? Put Jan next week. Is that is that the process? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there are people that we've given second chances to plenty of times, and uh, you know, here's here's a funny story. A friend of mine was uh, opened a brewery, and but they're doing the whole build out of the brewery. I was like, man, I hope your beer is going to be good because we're going to give you whatever. Because he's such a great guy and he spent a lot of money. And then he tapped it. We did their launch party. We sold five kegs of infected beer at their launch party. That Damn. five kegs in this little tiny bar in one night. Damn. Um, they they since improved that beer and it became a, a great staple for some time. Um, Are you naming names? No, but <laughs> not on not on the air. Um, but uh, you know, it's a uh, it's. It's 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 a hard thing, like I said, because you know, there's so many folks come in and they're or they work used to work for a great brewery that we right. knew, and now they're with this brewery. It's like, ah, I, don't, I just don't want to want to buy your stuff, you know? right? <laughs> well, and it's tough too to get burned like that, where you've got what you hope is a good relationship, and you end up serving beer that's not at the level where it should be at, right? Yeah, and, and I think you know, Mark Stutrud said <clears throat> said it best. Like, I, I don't want he doesn't think it's fair for people to. <clears throat> for your customers to have to pay for your learning curve, you know, and I think that's very true. And I, same thing for my customers. It's like if I'm going to charge you six dollars for a pint of beer, mm-hmm. I want it to be a really damn, really good pint of beer. So the the, the cynic in me has a couple of viewpoints on on that statement. Mm-hmm. One, I think he's right, but two, as a consumer, well, if you buy that product, that's on you. Sure. If at least at least the first pint and the second point. The, the second pint is definitely on you, right? So uh, if if you buy that product and, and it's not up to par, then, hey, lesson learned. Absolutely. And, and most definitely the, the burden is on the producer, right? But the second time around, if you're buying an infected pint or I guess subpar, I mean, hey, why are you buying beer that's not up to standard? What what are your thoughts on that from from the bar perspective? I guess one of the things I want to talk to you most about, Tony, is kind of the we don't talk much about the on sale and in bar life mm-hmm. when it comes to craft beer. So I want to hear kind of what what your thoughts are on on I guess that point and, and other points. Well, I mean, I, I agree that it it is on you. You know, if you keep on going back, <laughs> if you're at, if you're at a, if you're at a local tap room that isn't making you know a plus beer, but I, I think. Some of it, too, is people that don't really know any better. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming most of the folks that listen to Minnesota BeerCast are pretty well-versed and, you know, they know they know beer. If folks that are younger, they want to be seen drinking a craft brewery if they go to, you know, Brewery X and they go, oh, okay, well, this is what a, a really good light lager, you know, blonde ale or a really good IPA is supposed to taste like. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, you or I or Drew or any, any one of us walk in and went, oh, this is 
Ugh, you know. What, 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 <laughs> Ooh, band-aids. So, I love that. <laughs> so I mean, you know, but you know, and so that's what they learn, and that's what they learn to like. But it's. <laughs> I see. I see Joe Shea over in the corner shaking his head. Do you, do you have something to say, Joe? Go ahead. Go ahead. So Joe's going to be on. Shy guests. Joe's, Joe's going to be on in a later segment. Well, let's let's let him weigh in now. No, I I think that uh, I think it's just a sad thing that you do need that. I mean, but your learning curve is going to happen. There's a brewery here in town that I have mad respect for, but when they first launched, everything that I had was terrible. Mm -hmm. But now they've turned it around, and I tell people when they come to town, like, you guys got to check these guys out. They're doing some good stuff. But the learning curve, it's just, it's a sad thing that you're going to need to do that. Because most of these breweries can't afford a lab. They can't afford, you know, the things. And also, they can't afford to dump bad beer when they make it. Because well, that's a major cost. Absolutely, and and there's, from from my perspective, there's so much to break down in your statement, right? That that they can't afford a lab, they can't afford to make mistakes, they can't afford to dump beer, right? Well, what? And and Barley said it. If you didn't hear it from the peanut gallery, then they shouldn't afford to be in business. They they did not they did not invest properly in in the equipment and the staff and and the required equipment to to make sure that they're making quality beer and understandably people don't always know what's coming and they're taking risks and they're trying to learn and trying to put out the best thing they can and i think that's a lot of the reason why people go back for that second pint that third pint that fourth pint that may not be a hundred percent of a quality product but they want to support local businesses. They want to make sure that, the, you know, their neighbors' businesses are going to be successful. And the truth be told, I mean, I think the people, the, the, the percentage of the marketplace that you're talking about that's going to really be able to tell that something is, has gone wrong in, in a batch, it's a fairly small percentage of the craft beer consumers. Oh, yeah. You know, they like what they like, and they're not terribly picky. And part of the, you know, going and supporting your local tap room and drinking craft beer is just the overall experience mm-hmm. of it, of being in the Dangerous Minute tap room, being in the Bent Brewstillery tap room, and hanging out with your friends and going and trying different ones and different ones and different ones. And they might not put that much thought into it, to be honest. Well, it's true, you know, and... and it's it's tough to to reconcile that that difference from supporting local to putting up with a product that's not always the best and and having folks who do not have maybe the the most educated palate right um uh, how are we doing on time? It looks like Tony's got to take a yeah, phone we call are, from uh, the mayor. We are up against a break. Uh, so let's uh, we will continue this conversation on the other side. You're listening to the Minnesota Beer Cast recording on location. Or from live. Grumpy's Northeast. All right, welcome back to the Minnesota Beer Cast, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130. Thanks for uh, spending some of your Friday night, or again, if you're listening to this via podcast, thanks for spending some of your whenever. I do want to remind you, we are going to be out at the uh, Rochester Craft Beer Expo on Saturday. So if you are attending that event, uh, please, please stop by and say hello. And uh, we are uh, we are making some plans to make some appearance at... 
bad weather next yes, weekend. Yes, sir. Uh, we so haven't quite uh, decided what our plan is going to be. But yeah, we'll be there I, at some I've point. got some calendar issues I've got to work on here. Schmitty likes to do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, he likes to spring these things on me and just tell me that. Oh, by the way, you know, I signed us up to be here. I signed us up to be there. I usually find out either the day before or like three hours before so this week i've got like a week's notice so that's that's a that's a luxury <laughs> you can tell paul simon to schedule his concert some other time <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we will be uh we will we keep an eye on our social media and we'll keep you updated on our plans to uh hit, hit up bad weather for their arcade it's an arcade weekend right it's gonna be a fantastic time yeah it's Who really cool. love a little worth legends out. with some some craft beer can't beat it and uh and i'll be out at the crawfish boy we were talking about earlier too they come see me out there and buy me some crawfish there you have it <laughs> it's oh it's that spicy oh it's so spicy <laughs> i usually don't need like anything spicier than ketchup <laughs> we are hanging out of course uh, at grumpy's uh, we're talking with uh, tony zaccardi he's still on the phone with the mayor so it'll be interesting to hear how that conversation goes he's kind of a big deal uh, but uh we've of course got uh, john and lee from uh the folks at dangerous man and we've got joe shea uh, over in the corner how you doing joe I'm doing great. Joe represents the left hand here in the great state of Minnesota. Absolutely. Uh, we were talking about quality and education uh, in regards to craft beer here in Minnesota. And I think one of the things that we kind of didn't really fully explore was the idea of education. We all kind of talked about, you know, that exploring, I guess, Mark Stuttrud's talking point uh, in a publication a while back about how you shouldn't have to pay um, for other people's education in the craft beer industry, right? Uh, producers specifically. Um, and we all kind of decided, well, not everybody knows that they're drinking beer that's not the best quality possible. How do you guys think that we overcome that issue? How do, how do we educate consumers to realize, hey, this beer is not it's not finished it's flawed it's it's not the best beer it could be or should be or is it even is it even worth the effort because oh, that's a good point is it i mean is it because there's so many people out there that drink beer there's thousands and thousands of people out there that, that are drinking beer and even for those flawed beers out there there may be a bunch of people who just like how it tastes well it's valid if people are just going to drink local and it doesn't have to be good doesn't have to be good <laughs> we're posing the deep questions uh, on I think the Minnesota does, Beer Cast this week. I think it does have to be good. Uh, I went to a seminar last year, um, and this lady was um, from the wine business, and she was talking about the difference between the wine business and the beer business. And she said the wine fests, I don't even know if they call them fests. Uh, Probably something more distinguished. Yeah, definitely. And Gala. It was, and it was all about <laughs> education, and it was less about drinking. And she's like, that was one of the weird comparisons. was like people weren't getting drunk. They were actually spitting out the wine so they could taste more wine. God, those people. And get more educated. Uh, we just like make me sick. Get drunk, which is super fun. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, there could be a little education inserted into some of the activities we do. You know, I like that idea a lot. I, the, the fact that, you know, we have these festivals or expos or... Um, you know, different beer events all around town. And we do, I mean, I'll speak for ourselves, Drew and I do these segments at these 
festivals where we'll talk about, I mean, we've, one of the ones I'm really excited about at Rochester is we're going to sit down with um, Austin from Forager Brewery and talk about how you go from uh, a rank amateur to having uh, at a successful brewery in a place like Rochester, how you go amateur to pro. Um, and so we're doing education, I guess, on that level. But, I mean, we're not exploring the, the concept of flawed beer necessarily um, at those shows. So do you guys do you guys think that that's something that should be definitely brought into um, craft beer festivals? The education of yeah. flawed beer yeah. versus unflawed. Absolutely. Like what know. to look for. You know, if you're just a if you're just your average craft beer consumer, what specifically to look for to be able to tell if a style or a beer is flawed or broken in or some way. Or is that way? beer festival going to have half the booths next year? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's kind of a kind of a line to toe, I guess. Yeah. That um, it's like you want you want people to have fun at festivals, but you also do want to educate them too. And it's, I mean, having having that available, like having like, hey, on an itinerary or sheet or whatever, like X booth is going to have this education panel and have them like choose to come or not is nice like not having to like round people and be like you need to you know educate yourself more yeah i mean you shouldn't be forcing people to come sit and listen to a bunch of boars like me and drew (laughs) you know go on and on about education but i guess maybe that's the (laughs) before you enjoy this festival (laughs) quick 40 minute presentation and maybe that's the bigger challenge is how do you get people excited about you know educating their palates and learning about the styles and what's an off flavor and what should be what they should be looking for in a beer well i mean if you want to talk about how you get people excited about it you, you we already touched on it a little bit where a lot of people drink craft beer as a status symbol so if you want to like say and a lot of people drink wine as a status symbol but you want to pe- say people True like enough. and pick out things be like hey let's teach him what diacetyl tastes like I've you want to taste out. buttered popcorn I've, there I've got, you go i figured like, out you want to uh, taste dms you know what cream corn tastes like there you go but then again there's a lot of old school styles that actually def- you know really you know actually have that as a key flavor ingredient or it's and a- people enjoy it at a whatever threshold. like that's yeah. a key ingredient of rolling rock and it always has been <laughs> you know having diacetyl is like part yeah. of the you know last time i checked rolling rock selling a lot of beer and you know well not as much as since they started moving to st louis from old latrobe but still i mean it's i, I mean, said last time things. i checked it's been a while <laughs> that was 20 years but, ago i mean you know it's uh i was just having this conversation um you know hopefully one thing we touch on is uh our international beer thing but mm-hmm. um you know in uh, a lot of czech styles uh diacetyl is not a problem it's part of acceptable the within the style it's exactly and it's you know for us as uh, american craft brewers diacetyl is a uh, that is terrible. It's you want to get that as far away from your beer as possible, and anybody here at this table can pick that out in a heartbeat. But for a lot of people, it's really not a thing. But it's until it becomes a thing. Sometimes it's so subtle, like your average beer drinker doesn't even know it. Yep. And that's one of those things that when I'm sitting around and drinking beers, I can pick it out, and I'm like, oh, dude, I'm not gonna, you know, like I'm sitting with my buddy, and I'm like. I even wonder if I even bring it up, you well, know. But it's like it's it's there. I'll it's, tell you. I'll tell you my policy. I, I if I'm not gonna bring it up, if somebody asks me about their beer, hey, what do you think of this beer? I'm gonna tell you what I think of your beer. 
I don't know. <laughs> you give me some side eye, John. What's what's your policy? No, I agree. I'm going back to things like diacetyl and metallic taste, like what have you type of off flavors. Too, it's it's kind of tough because some people can't even pick that up per palate. Like that's true. It's, it's subjective. Where one person's like, yeah, I can smell and taste. I think even genetically, some people can't yeah. pick up certain yeah, off flavors. Oh, absolutely. You know. Yeah, it's very true. I've taken classes, and I've, I've talked to, like, many peers. There's peers I have. They're like, I cannot, for the life of me, pick up diacetyl or sulfur or uh, metallic or, mm-hmm. yeah, any any example you want to choose. But, yeah, one diacetyl the, is a big one. One of the things sure. I've thought could often be employed uh, by the industry as a whole, especially, I guess, canning uh, breweries, is descriptors, uh, especially of, of styles um, on their packaging. You know, this is this is the uh, juicy goodness from left hand. It falls within this style, and these are the acceptable guidelines for the style that we brewed this beer to. Um, you know, instead of it, I'm not... Not but then you're kind of putting it in front of people who may not care. No, but, but it's you know, osmosis, I, right? Yeah, it, to a degree it is. But again, one of the things that I'm very fond of saying is if everybody liked the same thing, I wouldn't have a job. No. Now, and one of the other th- key things is uh, Lee and John are very talented brewers. And the last time I homebrewed anything... We used uh, steel ball bearings to weigh down our hop sack, <laughs> and that ruined our homebrew. <laughs> so I mean, I, I mean, I've uh, I've helped, you know, I've assisted in our brew house, and I have mad respect for our brewers. But I'm I'm a sales guy, and I've you know developed a good palate for detecting, you know, bad beers. So that if I'm out in the field and I'm like, whoa, something happened here, because I know it didn't leave our brewery bad because we have so many checks and balances but i can pick out like hey something turned here and you know there's been a time with left hand since i've been around where i'm like hey i'm picking something up and they tested you know what they have in the archive yeah you're the latest quality control right exactly so it's important for people to know what they're drinking but the other important thing is one of the big problems that craft beer has for like really reaching the masses is a sense of snobbery and if you're sitting there and somebody's drinking a beer like laced with diacetyl or DMS or some other, you know, off thing, and you're like, you don't know, that beer sucks. And they're like, no, I like it. And you're like, you just let them enjoy it, man. I mean, it's, yeah. it, you know, it, you, can, yeah. you can educate them and be like, hey, this is why it's not, this is what happened to this beer. But you also have to just let them enjoy their experience. We've had this conversation on the show a number of times, and we are up against a break. But I, I, I do want to just make one point, you know. Part of the challenge is finding the people that want to be educated and giving them the opportunity to be educated. Don't force it on the people who don't care and are just going out there and they're drinking the beers they like and they don't really want to, they don't want to think about it. They don't want to spend a whole lot of time worrying if this is true to style or anything. They don't care. They just like it. Find the people who are craving that education and create more opportunities for that education. We are up against a break. Uh, I know uh, we, we, we got, you guys have a couple comments on that, so we will continue this conversation right on the other side. <laughs> this is the Minnesota Beer Cast. All right, we are back with the Minnesota Beer Cast uh, right in the middle of a, uh, of a heated 
not really heated, but hot and heavy conversation uh, regarding consumer education and, uh, and and styles and what makes a good beer, what makes a bad beer, and uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, we left off, and I was making the point that I think part of the key is identifying you know the the segments of the marketplace that are truly craving that education and making sure to provide them with with plenty of opportunities to find that education i do think one of the shortcomings in the industry has been one of the first things i did when i moved to minnesota and i was drinking craft beer and enjoying you know uh back then they were called micro brews right <laughs> um uh, quite a bit before i moved here but it, i moved here around the time same time that everything really started to explode and one of the first things i did and i'll never forget it was go to a little beer education class um and it was really informative and i learned a lot it was a little three-hour thing i learned a lot about different styles I, I identified a couple styles that i'd never really had before that i liked quite a bit but i don't see a lot of those opportunities being offered and and i think you know making them more available publicizing them greater i think would go a long way towards accomplishing what schmitty is 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 asking about well and i think and maybe you guys can feel free to weigh in on this um and especially tony i'd like your opinion as as someone who lives the works the the on-sale bar life is i guess is that profitable right is is it profitable to work education into the the sales model be you a producer or be you an on sales uh, establishment like grumpy's or the palmer's bar which we're going to get to in just a minute um is is that something that you're going to make money at if there's a small segment of the marketplace that is only interested in education does it make sense money wise i don't i don't in the on-premise world i don't know how much it does make sense i mean i it's or how do how would i even do it you know as a proprietor you know, when I've got a 30 other people waiting for beer, how do I, you know? Right. It's like, hey, people are beating down your door to put their kegs on. How much do you really care about education, right? Well, I, I want, I mean, I want to, I guess it's my job, again, my, my customers, our customers here at Grumpy's, they trust Pat that he's providing. They know that if there's a beer on tap here, it's, it's going to be, you know. And maybe that's the best education they can get is to go to a place that they know and they can trust that's putting on good beer and you know take a look at what's what's not on tap what's on tap what stays on tap yeah that's exactly <laughs> i think the acadia has a great if it's not on tap at grumpy's i ain't drinking it that's right <laughs> i think the acadia has that let's take that no crap on tap right so, you know i mean sometimes i look for some you know palmers we probably serve hams I'm happy to order a Coors Light if I see it on tap at a place that has a good, clean beer line. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, just, I like, you know, I, th- I, think, I think it is really the proprietor. It's our job to to be, to be offer the, you know, the best that we can. I don't, you know, yeah. it's like I'm not going to put Newcastle on tap. Newcastle is a fine beer, but you don't need to drink it on tap at my bar. You can go anywhere and get it. So you know? speaking of um, education and on sale, uh, and you, you mentioned it clean beer lines i think there's something that that should be tackled here in minnesota how can consumers know if they're drinking beer from a clean beer line well i think uh if you're a credit establishment from robin shaman's you know, better better you know i, I think it, again it comes down to you know you you look at 
do they these people know what they're talking about? You know, these people being bartenders. Do, do, does your your bartender do they know their beer? Do they offer good beer? Uh, do they enjoy drinking their own beer? You know, I mean, I think it gets a trust issue. I think to an extent because you, I mean, you can ask. You know, anyone should be able to tell you how often their beer lines are clean. Mm-hmm. But for at least you know, if you don't feel comfortable asking, you just know that hey, I'm I'm going to Grumpy's. All of my beer, all the beer reps are sitting here drinking. All these brewery owners and stuffers, you know that it's going to be a good beer on tap. Right. You, know, you can go to the muddy. How often do you uh, do you do you clean your tap lines? What, uh, what's the recommended? Our, 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 our maximum is 14 days here. Um, I was talking with Pat about his day, and it's really it's anywhere from nine to 14 days. But I think yeah. um, we we go with a two week rule, and that's the same thing we follow at Palmer's. What's the uh, what's the character? What's the, the the number one characteristic? And anybody can answer this. Uh, that a maybe you know not so educated consumer should look for going to a bar for the first time, and it's not Grumpy's, and they order a beer. What's the number one thing that they should look for? That would be an indicator that they might not have the cleanest tap lines. Well, I mean, you can literally look at the faucets and see, you know, if, if, if there's dried goo all over them, that's one thing. Um, watch how your bartender, yeah, watch how, watch how your bartender pours his beer, you know, if he's sticking, sticking the beer right all the way up into the faucet. Oh, um, dog, how they, I hate how they, that. How they I hate handle that. the glass, are they handling it, handling it by the rim of the glass, are they, hand, you know, there's just a few things you kind of get a sense of, like, they don't care, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say another thing that really key indicator. If you're at a bar and you see bubbles on the side of your glass, that means they're not cleaning their glasses. If they're not cleaning their glasses, they're not cleaning their tap lines. It's just it's they they just don't care about the quality of the beer. No, that's that's, that's a good point. Very I mean, if you see bubbles on the side of your glass, that's a key indicator that you're It's it's usually an indicator, but that's not is it an indicator every time if there's bubbles on the side of your glass? I mean, no, no. It's. I mean, not every time, but but not every time are you going to have a infected beer and it's the draft line. It's true. You know, and not every time are you going to have any sort of problems that it's not one thing or another. Mm-hmm. Bartley wants to chime in on this. Go yeah, ahead, Bartley. Again, as far as the true flavor indicator for those that have a good palate, you will notice a minerally taste, and at the worst possible scenario, it will be kind of green tasting kind of like a moldy taste because it will build up in the lines and that is a bad thing i mean and again <laughs> yeah it also is. mold I mean, is bad had the beer twice in a row at two different locations and it tastes different mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing that most general consumers will recognize is that it tastes different than it I'd tasted say that two doors away as someone here with different probably probably the least educated palate of this entire group that's yes, the most that common is. thing that i've noticed again i mean i don't have that palate that will pick that up but i, I can taste it's different yeah is it different in a good way or different in a bad way usually if it's an unclean line it's different in a bad way mm-hmm. and that's that's definitely what you'll pick up very 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 quickly so yeah, when you're excited about like having a beer because you see it on a menu and then you order it and it sucks, <laughs> it's probably not. That's the brewery. a good indicator. <laughs> That's good. It might not be the brewery. So if, if you've been listening to this this last segment and and have been a little bored out of your mind, you're like, yeah, I do want to get educated, guys. How can I do that? I would highly recommend going and checking out uh, the BJCP program. Uh, the Beer Judge Certification Program. Uh, there is a ton of educational material there. Um, it is free for you to download. Um, there's style guides. There's re- 
resources for all flavors. Um, I would highly recommend it if you're a home brewer, if you're interested in home brewing, or if you just want to learn more about beer in general. I could not, I cannot recommend it enough. Um, that being said, um, we do have another break coming up. Um, oh, we're ending we're the done. show. Oh, yeah, we're, give we're me done. the wink and the We nod. have the end of the show coming up. Well, should we do? Uh, should we do some on-demand only yeah, content? Yeah, we will. We'll, we'll, we'll continue this conversation on the podcast version of the okay. show. So if you're listening on air, uh, make sure to download the podcast because we will do some uh, some exclusive podcast only segments here uh, coming up shortly. For those that are listening on the air, uh, again, Rochester Craft Beer Expo on Saturday and uh, bad weather next weekend. Keep an eye on our social media for more details about that. And thank you for listening to this edition of the Minnesota BeerCast. Thank you to our guests from Dangerous Man, uh, from Left Hand, Grumpies to, for hosting us. I am Drew. That is Schmitty. And, and we will see you next week. Cheers. I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer. It makes me a This is the post-show edition of the Minnesota Beer Cast for uh, podcast listeners only. Exclusive, a little add-on to this week's. The conversation was going uh, so well. We decided to stick around here at Grumpy's and hang out and record a, uh, a little more. You demand it, we deliver. That's right. That's right. So when we uh, when we left off, uh, we were gonna, I guess, plug, talk about the the Zilsner, and we didn't we didn't fit it into the on air portion of the show. And we I got feel so wrapped up in that uh, that that captivating conversation that we. We, uh, we we neglected to do all the plugs of I, why we invited all you people on in the first place. We did this show, and we didn't get the plug in. No, none of the plugs. I feel bad. Start talking to people in the craft brew industry about off flavors and how the public doesn't <laughs> know about them, and we have things to say. I it's weird. I cannot tell you how many shows have been derailed by that topic. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is a common... Digression's pretty easy when it comes to certain <laughs> Well, you guys have quality guests on with from quality breweries, and it's... It's it's evident, and I'm a as a this is, is a, a podcast. As a guest, thing. you can say that I listen to your podcast <laughs> all the time because I cover four states. Thanks, so I podcasts I listen to all the time. It's nice to hear. There's a there's a surprising amount of not only people that listen to the show, but but industry folks who are like, hey, I really liked the topic you guys got into last week. That was really sweet. You guys ever think about talking about this? And it's like, you know what? Good idea. We'll bring that up next time around. I still think we need to do a glassware show. You shot me down on that one. No, no. I no. want to do a show. I am one hundred percent in favor of that. I All got right. some. Let's take a poll of the round up. table. Bartley, thumbs up. All right, thumbs up. Revamped all of our glassware. So yeah, we had the same. there are certain glassware that are that are that are designed for certain styles, right? I mean, yeah. you've got certain styles are supposed to be poured in, in certain glassware. I do not know why, and I would like to know why. Probably should get we're over gonna here gonna get the We're gonna now. we're gonna get uh, off track again because oh, yeah. uh, Left Hand developed uh, the stout glass that Spiegelau made. Yep. With uh, Rogue, and I'll tell you, man, I I, I see I've been saying this for three years now, I, maybe three years, that. When Spiegelau came in and did a demonstration where we poured beers out of the same bottle into a shaker pint glass, which is that flat, you know, mm -hmm. edge, shaker pint glass, 
into one of their glasses designed for Pilsner or designed for uh, every beverage, uh, Belgians or shaking wits, mixed drinks, but. and you drink out of it, and I swear to God, it's like you're in an infomercial. Like, oh, I never thought about cutting my tomatoes like that before. <laughs> and you're like, what is going on? Because it Sham, seriously wow. was mind blowing. Because it was you did it yourself. You poured out of the same bottle, right, and so, you could tell the difference. So Drew is not giving me enough credit. I, I did not shoot down the the glassware podcast. I I said I wanted to do. A glassware video cast, because I get nobody wants to you see need, us. You need to see it. Though. No, you need not to see us. The glassware. Look at a model or something. You got to see the glassware. You know, and again, this is a retrograde. This is something that's been going on in Europe since the beginning of beer. They've been making glassware to fit the style of beer. If you look over there, I've got friends from mine from Belgium. He's a great friend of mine. If he gets served the wrong beer in the wrong glass, he will send it back. And that is true. If you look at things, again, like Quack. Quack actually has a specific glass, and it comes in a wooden holder in order to supposedly accentuate the the flavors and the aromas of that beer but but my dad drank old milwaukee from the can <laughs> yeah well again that beer is made for but, a can it but. is not made to accentuate the flavors and and aromas of that style of beer by the way what is the style of old milwaukee i'm pretty sure it's beast yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, you talk about real, real beer. You talk about real beer. You talk about the styles that they have, and you talk about the different things that accentuate the different flavors. There is a such thing as a Pilsner glass. And that, again, it's a straight-sided kind of a cone-shaped thing that mm-hmm. does what it's supposed to do for a Pilsner. And you have things that are a Nonic. Nonic is the most probably often used one just because it has widespread utility Mm -hmm. but it isn't the glass for every beer you know and and using the right glass for the right beer really does change what it is and this is why you know not to plug sam adams but they actually created a glass which is hard to use in the on-premise world but that was probably one of the first beer glasses i bought was a sam adams glass yeah the laser etching on the bottom that keeps the the continual head on top of your beer like yeah, I because if you it. have that clean glass, you don't have those nucleation points where the yeah, CO2 congregates and like releases from the beer. Yeah, mm-hmm. you want to maintain the the CO2 in the beer as you're drinking it. You don't want it to all come out. And again, the dirty glass. Again, another subject for a podcast <laughs> is the dirty glass. You know, if you have a, a clean glass, you won't have those nucleation sites, and the CO2 will stay in solution and still be that tickle on your nose and in the in the the tang and the in the beer that you need for right. drinking a beer. So it's been decided. We're going to do uh, a glassware video cast. Joe, you, do you have some connections at Spiegelau? Can we Yeah, can we, hook we, this we up? can make that happen. Let's, let's do it. Absolutely. Let's make it happen. I we'll get it. some guy with a very thick German accent to come on and tell you all how we've been drinking beer terribly. Yeah, in somebody America. better looking than <laughs> us, I mean, for One sure. thing that's absolutely not, not, not uh, secret to everybody, we've been drinking beer terribly in the United States forever. We are now the world leaders in beer production. Ten years ago, we were still a joke. There's a lot of craft brewers out there, but now Germany, 
uh, UK. They're making American-style craft breweries. Stone built a brewery in, in Berlin. They're talking about a second facility in Berlin, or at least a second tap Absolutely. Room. It's, it's yeah. a real thing. I mean, we are – people look to the United States for the craft brewing industry as America. for inspiration. And you know that's one of the things that we wanted to touch so let's on. Let's put a pin in that. Yep. Let's let's plug the uh, the thing we didn't get to before we digress to glassware. Let's talk about the collaboration that Dangerous Man did and with I, Mr. Zaccardi. I would just he like to off. say a few words about that. If this is what we're drinking right now, it is. This is solid. This very is solid. Yeah. Very good. This yeah. is a, a just by. I haven't heard the explanation yet, but this to me is a darker pilsner. It is. It's a, it's it's a, a midnight pilsner, I believe, is the, pils, the descriptor. It's a pils. It's got a little bit of color to it and a little bit of depth. You know, and a lot of people downplay the pils, Looks which like is a, a misnomer um, or, or, or a mistake because the pils is a great beer style. It's just been equated with the American lagers for so long. It this A pils is a, a super great style. It's clean and crisp, and then now uh, you, you add a little bit of darkness to it. It, it makes it a clean, clean, crisp beer that's got a little bit of more flavor to it, you know. And this is something, I don't know, God bless Rob for doing this, too, because I, I did this as a homebrew where I had a, a Pilsner with a little bit of Munich in it, a little bit of Munich dark. And it was phenomenal. And God bless Rob for putting this out there because this is a great beer. This is a Pilsner that's, cl- that's crisp and clean with a little bit of a darker malt into it to give it that extra bit of character that most Pilsners lack. So I'm, I'm a big fan of this beer, so I'll turn it over to you guys now. Yeah, this is just what happens when you uh, drink a Grumpy's. Uh, you talk to the bartender for a little bit, have a few too many beers, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you make a beer with a bartender. Can't ask for more flattering introduction than, than Bartley gave you guys. Tell us about this, this beer and how it came to fruition. Uh, well, <laughs> like you do when you hang on at Grumpy's for most of a day. Right. It wasn't the plan, but I ended up being here for a very long time on a, on a Sunday months ago. Went up, got another beer, talked to Tony. I'm like, you know what, man? should make a beer together sometime. And he's like, are, are you serious? Sure, yeah, man. Why not? Right. Went and sat down, finished my night there, and then uh, Rob, our boss, uh, owner of Dangerous Man, mm-hmm. came the next day and was having a couple drinks here. And Tony had mentioned to him, hey, you know, John was here yesterday and said something about we're making a beer together. And Rob's like, oh, okay. <laughs> came to work the next day and came up to me and said, so we're making a beer with Tony from Grumpy's, huh? <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is that okay, do you boss? Remember that? I'm like, yeah, a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Yeah, now you're saying. Now that you're saying it, I kind of do. And I asked him like, "Is <laughs> now that being said, is that okay?" He's like, "Oh yeah, absolutely." I'm like, "Oh, whew. okay. Well, uh, so that's in a nutshell." And did you did you have the style in mind when you? No. Okay. It was just, hey, let's make a beer together, and then we actually had a set meeting tony came to the brewery we're like so let's talk about this what what do you want to do like what are you excited about and right away he was thinking about maybe doing like a black ipa he's like you know i thought about that right away but 
I kind of want I kind of want to change my mind. I'm like, well, what do you like? He's like, I don't know. I like I like pilsners and things associated with pilsners. I'm like, we can we can do a riff on a pilsner. And we are all. I mean, you were there too, Lee. Like we kind of just riffed. We're like, do you want to do a like a a black pilsner, a dark pilsner? He's like, we can do that. I'm like, yeah, there's ways to do that. If you want to do that, we can definitely do that. He's like, that sounds rad. Okay, done. We'll make it work. And then once we get it all down, we'll let you know when the day is, and you show up, and we'll make a beer together. What are what are some of the unique challenges that present themselves when making a a black, a darker pilsner like this? Well, to um, adding dark or roasted malts to a pilsner, if you add them at the right time or the wrong time, I mean, we added it <laughs> at a point in the brew where we were trying to just extract basically color and you can't escape getting a little bit of like the roast and toast of the dark malts in there but we added at a point i'm not going to bog down with jargon but where you can basically extract mostly color and just a smidge of that kind of roast and toast out of it so we did that to the best of our abilities and kind of not crossed our fingers it's like well we hope this works you plug things into brewery software you know by your own experience too. kind of combine them and be like all right here's the idea we know how to make a pilsner we're going to add this dark component to it at the right time get the minimal amount out of it we kind of want it to look dark you know black midnight as as we say for it but kind of be mess with your mind like it looks like this but it totally did yeah i mean because it was poured for me and it wasn't nobody explained what i was drinking you know it was just poured and set in front of me and i was like oh it's their peanut butter porter oh okay perfect i love dangerous man <laughs> it's, it's one of the best you know and and uh well no i was uh, that Full was not disclaimer it. for the the um samples that uh lee brought us here like it's straight out of the fermenter it's it still has a couple weeks to lager out yet to like finish becoming what it is it's not fully carved and it's not quite there yet but it's a good representation it's also not you know it's a little warmer than it should be so honestly a little bit of the roast and toast notes come out a little True. more yeah. from the temperature it's at but are we reaching um, the point where pilsners uh are gonna reach the the respect they so richly deserve i hope so i i think the last couple years and from what i've been paying attention to the last year especially like pilsners are taking off huge why do you think rather locally regionally kind of everywhere like everyone yeah the people that that do it right make fantastic pilsners let's pass the mic around why do you guys think think that is uh, I mean, like, we're only, we're always in our little bubble, you know? So, like, I hang out with brewers, and I hang out with sales reps, uh, and I hang out with people that, that drink beer. Um, so we all drink Pilsners. We, we drink Pilsners like, like they're going out of style, but they're actually coming into style. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it, it starts, it starts here. It starts with, it starts with beer drinkers. So you think it starts um, with the the people who make the beer and, and translates to the people who drink the beer because it's just being made? Yeah, do what you love, and uh, and if it succeeds, then it will spread. Joe yeah. Shea, what are your thoughts? I, I got to back that up, and uh, since we got John and Lee here who are very accomplished brewers, um, 
Our Pulsar Pilsner, which we have in cans here at Grumpy's, is something that I know these two have drank because I've drank them with them. That's professional. <laughs> uh, a few gentlemen. times. Um, but honestly, uh, Pulsar Pilsner, it's um, when you go to our tasting room, majority of our brewers, that's what they're drinking because Pilsners might not seem fancy. They're not a Imperial IPA. They're not like super flashy, but... There's no room to hide errors in Pilsners. We were talking about off-flavors. Off-flavors in Pilsners are very easy to dissect. Mm -hmm. And if you make a good Pilsner, it's recognizable. And it is really a flawless beer because it's really... Kind of like the yeah. beers that we were, you know, stole sips from our dads right. when we were growing up. It's Here's but it's beast, Dad. delicious and awesome, and That's, we got some. Yeah, really I think you put it right when you said it's a flawless beer. Yeah, it's just what a beer should taste like. It's a like good listening one. to a Exile on Main Street beer. by the Rolling Stones. That's what rock and roll is supposed to sound like. Yeah, yeah. that's what a pill. That's what a beer is supposed yeah. to taste. And like. that's one hundred percent right. I mean, there is no, there's nothing to hide behind because they're so clean and crisp and 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 not lacking in flavor, but lacking in big, bold flavors. It's not a stout. A stout has a lot of stuff to hide behind. You can hide a lot of stuff behind a stout, but a Pilsner there is so delicate of a beer. It's delicate and elegant. And if anyone is going to bring Pilsners back into uh, the respect that they deserve, it's American craft brewers. Absolutely. And, and we have the one, are the ones who have that talent that can actually make a flawless beer and make it taste better than the, I guess, stigmata of what a, a, an American lager is. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the mega brands, the mega brands are all pilsners. That's what they are. But they're Pil so watered fake down. Fake pilsners. That, yeah. <laughs> well, but yeah, but, but that's probably it, a good term for was, it. You that know, was my next question, guys. Is but there is no such thing as a craft fake pilsner. But All the pills that are out there now are actually solid pills that are actually made well, in the true check check way, in 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 making it flavorful, but you know, but with uh, with the, the right care and the right quality. So, is the the success of craft pilsners because in the American consciousness is the the idea and the flavor and the style of the Pilsner what America identifies as beer? Uh, America. I don't, I don't know. I mean, America in general, or are you talking about the lawnmower man, or are you talking about the standard aren't beer so, drinker in aren't America? We all America? I honestly feel that uh, Miller Lite started calling themselves a Pilsner like 10 years ago. I mean, it always was a Pilsner, but they started emphasizing it about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think that did a disservice to uh, beer because Pilsners are amazing. Pilsners are fantastic. We have two of the better Pilsners in the country, I think, being brewed here in Minnesota from uh, Ben Paddle and Fair State, I think are fantastic Pilsners. Fantastic Pilsners. Um, some of my favorites around the country, other than my own, is uh, Firestone's Pivo and uh, Prima Pils from Victory. Clean, crisp, little bit of a hop note, and just they're they're beautiful beers. But people think uh, Pilsner in America, they think Miller Lite immediately, yeah, generally, and that's a. Uh 
for lack of a better term, full of corn and BS. <laughs> or rice. Corn and BS. Well, it's yeah. it's just, it's terrible. I mean, it's just, I, I, I've always... Well, they tend to be watered down, and they and they dilute the flavor of a true pills yeah, yeah. by adding yeah. these adjuncts so that only add sugar. true pills. A true pills, a true check pills is phenomenal, yes. And again, you got to leave it to the American craft brewers to make this, to make that style great again. Hey. Hey. Look at that. I want to say, if anybody's listening to this and they're and they're skeptical, right? They're they're listening to this with a little bit of side eye about about pilsners and all of this lauding of pilsners that we're doing. But I agree. Try that Fair State one. That's great. Go get it fresh. Absolutely. You know, go get a nice fresh. Go to the tap room. Order it right from the tap room. You know, go to Fair State or go. You know, find somebody who who goes out of their way and, and to make a good pills and go to the tap room and try it fresh. It's a whole. It's a whole new world. Yep. Or get the left hand one off the shelves. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, a good that. pills is, is a good one thing. of those beers that getting it fresh, making you know, getting it close to it, as close to its its ready date as possible, it does make a difference. Right. That's not a beer that you want to store. You're not selling. You're not aging. <laughs> You're not aging or celerine. And pill. it also doesn't help that a lot of the classic pilsners that we've enjoyed, like, you know, before Craft Brew is doing it, are green bottled. And there is oh, the such light a thing struck. as the green bottle. They, they get light struck and they just get to where they got that skunky flavor to them. You it's know? a real I mean, thing. God bless Corona. I mean, I've, I've been on the beach a lot and I will pound the hell out of some Coronas. I will do it. But outside of the beach, I probably won't drink one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not to, to downplay anyone in particular and, and send all your inquiries to uh, minnesotabeercast.com. <laughs> the opinions expressed on the Minnesota Beercast are those of its guests. Well, like I say, I love it. I love it on a beach. I love it on a beach. Oh, I do too. That's, I'm not, that's, I, you know what? I, I will actually drink that you. beer on a beach. I went uh, went on a cruise uh, we're not a few years ago and uh, and did not have the best beer selection on the cruise, but yeah. being on the cruise, being out in the sunshine, those Coronas went down real smooth. Dude, man. that entire easy. that entire the trip. light struck kind of skunky flavor. Put a lime in there, it helps kind of mask it a little bit. But and you you got the admit, best beer though, though you don't have to add fruit to. You have to Sorry. admit though, if there was a good quality craft pilsner on that boat. Oh, that yeah. would have gone but down so much better. Yep. So uh, yeah, absolutely. We talked so much about education earlier and the identity of, of Pilsner in, in America as the idea of beer. And you brought up, I guess, partly the, the idea of light-struck beer and, and that being good on, on a beach. Like, one of the things that, that I think is so relevant um, to the, the education conversation we had earlier um, I think it might have been Michael Agnew brought up the point that the consumers are are drinking these these beers that may not be the the most well produced beers that are having off flavors, and people are, I guess, being educated or their palates are being trained to a different standard than than I guess is being taught, like in BJCP, for example, where. These are acceptable standards within these styles. Do you guys feel that that's accurate or is that way off base? You know, uh, God bless Mike and uh, a perfect pint. You know, love Mike a lot and everything, and I love the the what the BJCP has brought to you know the the craft beer mm-hmm. industry in the education of things. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I say. 
Is this going to be blank? Is this going to be edited out? Because I will say an expletive here. <laughs> don't, don't make Drew work. Um, no, I won't make Drew work. You know, screw the, the, the BJCP, personally. Drink what you like. This, I am a strong believer in drink what you like. I well, could sure. not care. But there's a big difference I, I, I between I knowing couldn't. what styles are and should be versus what you like. Yes. I mean, again, again, we're, we're talking about the general public here. The general mm-hmm. public should and continue to drink what they like. If they yeah. like the off flavor of a Band-Aid, drink it. Yeah, if you love, I don't you know, care. I mean, again, it, this, is, this is America. We are, are we are free to drink whatever we want to drink. Hell yeah. And, you know, and, and the education of, of people, and this is a great subject, and again, a whole other five-hour podcast about <laughs> the education of this sort of stuff, but it really doesn't matter, to tell you the truth, to me. Right. You drink what you like. I mean, I, I never made a beer to style. When I was home brewing, every beer I made sucked high tit in <laughs> every competition I ever put it in because this beer does not meet the style guidelines. Sure. Well, I don't make beer to style. I make beer to what I want to drink. I want. I make beer to what the the, the flavor profile that I want. Mm-hmm. And the very first batches of beer that I made were was mixing different mm-hmm. styles together to make what I thought was something that I would enjoy. Mm-hmm. And that's how I built my business. I mean, we do not... You know, and the funny thing is, is that our head brewer, Kristen, is one of the is the, is the youngest person ever to achieve Grand Master certification in the BJCP. Kristen is a fun guy, and, and he's, we've, he's, we've had him on the show before, and I, and I love talking with Kristen. Yeah, I mean, he is very animated, and he's definitely very entertaining, and he absolutely knows exactly what he's doing. He's got that palate that will pick out the little flavors, and he's got that palate, and he knows what styles are and what they should be. You know, but and and this is how or maybe why we work so well together because of the yin and the yang. I was and then I don't care about style. Guys. I, I could give ask. the first crap about style <laughs> guidelines. I just want to make a beer that tastes good. That's, That's my only concern is does it taste good? I don't care what we call it. You know, we can call it, you know, Mamma Jamma's, you know, upside down pills ale, you know, from, well, we can call it the, the from double H-E toothpicks you know it's like it doesn't matter what it's called is it good do you yeah. like it is it something you're going to go out of your way to buy well, that's what i care about you know exactly. and again as a business owner isn't going to go off of the shelves you know yes absolutely you know and education in, in in my context means do you like it because everyone says you should like it or do you like it because it's really good Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's one of the things that I'm always focusing on is, it, is it great? Is it a good beer? Call it whatever you want, you well, know. We put a pin in Joe's international conversation a while back. We're going to get to that next. Before we do, I'm going to let John from Dangerous Man get a good plug in, and then we're going to transfer over to that conversation. Yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention a few things when I was talking about the, the beer, the Zilsner. Um it will be available here at Grumpy's Northeast and at uh, the Dangerous Man Tap Room for Art of World. Um, yes, possibly Palmer's. Um, when do you expect it? Uh, I think I think the idea up to now is, and it really hasn't changed, is it's going to be previewed here towards the beginning of the week and go for most of the week up through, you know, all the art world shenanigans and events and things here. And then we'll release it also at the tap room, uh, I believe that Friday. So, and 
Oh. We're doing some uh, some production notes here. Oh, dates and hours. We have we have dates oh, being pulled yeah. up on a phone. Friday. <laughs> yes. Friday, May 18th, 5 to 10 p.m. Saturday, May 19th, noon to 8 p.m. And Sunday, May 20th, noon to 5 p.m. Um, nice anyway, job, yes, Smitty. Uh, briefly, that's when it will, uh, the Zilsner will be available um, both at here at Grumpy's at the beginning of the week and at the tap room towards the end of the week. And, and if I can just interject, if you guys really enjoy these uh, beer-related conversations, I can't tell you how many times I've had these with John and Lee right here on this patio <laughs> over the last uh, three years. I mean, this is where I met these guys, and this this is our local, right? This is where we drink more often than anywhere else. This is this is why we picked this place. It's not just because Basically we... my third space. I guess there's a reason I have a tattoo of it on my arm. Yeah, and, <laughs> uh, and one of the reasons why, you know, we also love Tony Zaccardi. I mean, I can't wait for what he's going to do with Palmer's. I've been to that place many times. Most of the time, I'm drinking Tallboy Paps, but I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Tony's what he drink, what he brings in for some craft beer options. Because that's this, a, that's a fabulous place, and Tony's this beer amazing. We made, like he did, he he mashed in, he added hops, he grained out, he did as much as we let him. He's like, let let me do stuff. It's like, oh yeah, absolutely, you can do whatever you want, man. So we didn't really talk about it too much, but Tony just recently acquired or became part owner to be, I believe, at some point, full owner of, of Palmer's. Is that how you understand it? Owner, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so it awesome. So happy for the guy. Palmer's, for those that don't know, is, is a, another iconic establishment um, over on the West Bank um, near the U of M campus and, and can't be more excited for the guy and for the establishment and what not only it, it has been, but for what it's going to become. Um, you know, what Tony has been to this place here at Grumpy's and, and what he's going to be for Palmer's is, is really exciting and I can't wait to see. Um, he's one of the best guys on earth and, and I can't wait to see what he's going to do to um, Palmer's. So um, excited for you guys to finish this beer, for it to finish um, maturing in the, in the lagering phase and, and get out here for Outer World and for you guys to really celebrate that collaboration together. Um, I hope we folks can get it here at, at Grumpy's and, and both at Palmer's as well. It should be yeah, really, really I mean, fun. The name Zilsner is an homage to him, and actually that that name was kind of riffed and picked by my wife, Kaylee, actually. <laughs> She's like, if, if this ever comes, this this sounds like a great name. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> that is a great name. Well, the Z is the Z <laughs> is fun to put in there with Tony. He did, you know, he's a, a big-time musician, loves music. Um, it, Tony and I go back uh, a ways. He he used to play in a band called Appetite for Zaccardi. And oh, they still play. I caught <laughs> I thought, them before I, uh, the Guns N' Roses show. They played at was, Fulton Brewing, and I think it was, that was their last show. Game. I, I think you're right. I think that was their retirement show. Now, no, really? now no yeah. good rock and roll band stays retired. It's, it's true. So we'll have yeah, to see well, how things yeah, play out. Stays retired. Have we have those, a Paul have Simon's farewell tour. I right. guarantee you I'll see him at least twice <laughs> more before he's dead. It's one of my favorite shirts to Bruin is an Appetite for Zaccardi. Sure. Right now, I, I I'm looking forward to the reunion tour. I, uh, I'm a big fan of, of Mr. Zaccardi and his music. They actually, going back, uh, boy, I guess three or four, or five years ago now, maybe, um, when we were really working to get momentum.
momentum on the Sunday sales movement. Um, we put on a concert uh, at First Avenue, and his band was one of the bands that really was an anchor for that production. Um, and it, man, it was it was cool. They put, just do an amazing job. I can't can't say enough good things about the the music they do. Yeah, he's he's been in or is currently in so many groups and yeah he just kills it on i was just gonna say uh one of the reasons i'm on the show today is i listened to you talking to harmar and john from uh um yeah from from modest, from modest yeah you know talking about their collaboration beer and the last time i saw harmar tony was playing bass <laughs> you know, it was like he toured with harmar because you needed a bass player and like, i didn't hey, realize you toured with him yeah that's cool. Yeah, they, they, they did a little uh, tour, and, uh, you know, Tony was rocking bass and the Harmar band. It was rad. I love that music. I love that, that Sam Cooke style, that, that, you know, that old school, that just that kind of, I don't know the best way is to describe what, what Sam Cooke does or, or did. Um, it's not really doo-wop, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like post doo-wop in, in a way. Post, it, it, yes. If yeah. you guys, if if you are listening to this podcast and you still have not listened to Harmar Superstar, the his last album, Best Summer Ever, was fantastic. Yep. I, I still listen to it a lot. Um, I, I've I've been a big fan of his for years and years. Um, probably because, and I got introduced to him very early in his career because he's from my hometown, Owatonna. Oh wow! I didn't realize um, that. I, he, I hope that he doesn't mind me bringing that up because <laughs> Oatana is not exactly uh, a mainstay of uh, his uh, inspiration, but it is where he was from and you know where he grew up, and it's he's a source of pride for people like myself from Oatana, where it's like, hey, this guy's out there and he's he creates new music. Mm-hmm. You know, it's definitely R and B, but it's got it's so much more and soulful and just. Amazing. So if you aren't listening to Harmar yet, please go out and just try something. Yep. True. Yeah, I know it's on rotation in our house. I yeah. I was making dinner last night and, and threw it on the, uh, we've got the Google Play in the kitchen. Say, hey, play me some, some music. And there's usually, it's either Johnny Cash or some, some rhythm and blues or some rockabilly. It's all, it's all in rotation at the house. And the, the kid gets exposed to all different kinds of music. And, I mean, it's, it's fun. If you, if you have kids, I recommend getting one of those things. He, my kid, man, from, he asks for Iron Maiden from Google to same thing, Harmar Superstar. It's, it's so much fun. If you got a kid, get him one of those speakers for 35 bucks. And to quickly piggyback on Joe and Schmidt's comments about uh, Harmar, his live shows are a blast. Ridiculous. Other than being like really talented all around, like musically, vocally, arrangements, everything, like his live shows are a blast to watch. They really are. Yeah, he puts the man, on one hell of a show. The man just oozes sexuality on oh, stage. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Big yeah. Time. His shows are straight sex. Yeah. It's no doubt. And yeah. if you want to see you uh, should bring protection. Very sexy man <laughs> rocking tidy whities and just r- ripping <laughs> some Sam Cooke or uh, you know James Brown or just something because he'll do it. He'll just like yeah. rip into something new. But yeah, he is. Uh, He's fantastic. And a lot of his uh, YouTube stuff that's out there, 
Mm-hmm. Just really, I mean, you can get a good sense of who this guy is. I'm actually looking around to see if he's here right now because he does. <laughs> you know, he, he, he may be here before we're done recording. We've been going for three hours now. Yeah. Speaking of, of three hours, we put I think put a pin in your international beer conversation, Joe, four times. Why don't we finally get to it? That's why you wanted to come on the show today. Yes. Let's, let's move into that conversation before we all fall asleep. Well, you know, after all of uh, Bartley's uh, <laughs> rise that I've been drinking, um, but yeah, uh, at this point. yeah. So the whole key, you know, preface, you know, the key why I got into this conversation with you guys is I was listening to your conversation with uh, Harmar and John from uh, Modest, and you guys said that craft beer internationally is on mm-hmm. the decline, which. I took major issue with because I was just international and I would like to challenge your point on that. Well, it wasn't my statistic. I was just reading yeah. probably Thrill List. But so give me your counterpoint. So here's my here's my take on it. I uh, just got back from a two-week tour overseas mm-hmm. and it was a beer-related tourism. Uh, one of the benefits of being a Is left-handed. all tourism, beer-related tourism? Well, there's other related be. tourism. <laughs> but, you know, me being me, that was definitely, you know, what I was doing. I was focusing on beer because that's my life. And we got, uh, I got, I got to see great beer around uh, Vienna, Budapest, Bratislava, and Munich. Mm-hmm. And Got to meet a lot of brewers from around the you know around the world, essentially. Yeah, I we drank met some really good beer when I was in Munich. But my my thinking was when I heard that I'm like I met some guys from uh, I'm gonna completely butcher the name, uh, but they're from Sheffield. No, Should have looked it right. up. Yeah, well Sheffield, England. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the name of the brewery. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm not going to give you a shout-out. But uh, they, they were doing a collaboration beer with people in Budapest at Mad Scientist, who is making amazing beers. I met this guy, Zoli, who works for another place that I'm looking at the name right now, and I can't pronounce it. But, I mean, they, they were making awesome beers in Budapest, and it was fantastic to, like, watch them. And they were stoked to meet people from Left Hand because, you know, American beers are an inspiration to them now because mm-hmm. they had been all over the place. You know, they, all, the, all the beers in uh, Europe are based on these really old breweries that have been locking it in and they have secret recipes forever. You know, but now... Some, some, some uh, recipes of which are, like, mandated by law. Absolutely. Anti-innovation. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but it, there is there is a growing industry. Uh, there are over 120 breweries in London alone right now. Whereas there 10 years be, ago, I think way there more, were six. There? I mean, London's huge. Yeah. You just imagine what it's going to be in three years. Just imagine where it's going to be in 10 Think about where Minnesota was. When I first moved out here four years ago, there were maybe 10 breweries around. Dangerous Man's an old man brewery at this point in five years. So yeah. should we should we be amazed by the number of breweries or the volume of craft beer drank or produced? Well, so one of the things that I looked up going into this is that uh, internationally, American craft beer is up 17% internationally. Since and that's not just Europe. Since... Uh, in this last year. In the last year. In this last year. 
And that's, that's a that's a significant number. It yeah, is. That is and a significant. Now number. here's the funny thing: only like three percent of that is uh, in Europe. The vast majority of the growth is in Asia. Japan is yeah. very thirsty for American craft beer. Uh, Left Hand just uh, entered into distribution agreements in Japan, South Korea, and China. And I believe Brooklyn's had a presence in Japan for a long time. Absolutely. And there's a lot of breweries out there. Turns out we've been in China for about seven years. Now, we don't have a real distribution agreement, but left-hand beers have been available in stores. <laughs> because it's a whole different ballgame as, as far as uh, legal distribution over there. Because right. once you know somebody buys a beer and ships it in a container from Los Angeles, you're good to go. How hot does that? How hot does that beer get on the on the trip to to China? I don't even want to think about that. But that's one of the cool things about having a distribution agreement now is that we have uh, you know agreements that you know from point A to point B, we have a little bit more control. Mm -hmm. But I mean, we're selling in uh, Italy, England, uh, Germany. I mean, Left Hand's you know international at this point. Milk Salt Nitro is internationally known, which is great, but. You know, you it's go into fantastic these fantastic beer. Yeah, there's this great brewery I'm going to give a shout out to called Frisches Beer. It translates to fresh beer in Munich, and they had 20 draft lines, and all of them were independently owned craft breweries. A lot of them local in Germany, which is new to them, especially in Munich, where. Oh yeah. So we 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 touched on it earlier, where Stone built a facility in Berlin yeah. to kind of capitalize on that demand. Do you see more American craft breweries looking to expand overseas? I mean, we've seen kind of a a contraction almost recently here, where there's been a green flash uh, recently. I mean, they're they're done. Well, I personally have been hesitant to embrace breweries that are building secondary facilities because then why are you not then how are you still left hand if we if we started a brewery for example in Asheville North Carolina how are we still left hand how is that the same as when it comes out of Longmont what, well, where are we first started yeah but I mean you how is it how is it any different right you're, you're you have the same you have the same barley you've got the same yeast you've got the same everything right except for well, the water which you're going to chemically produce the same well i'm gonna I'll, I'll put it to lee on this uh you know because dangerous man is a brewery that i've had mad respect for before i moved to minnesota uh their peanut butter porter is one of the things that my friends who i you know from colorado were telling me when you get to date when you get to minnesota go to dangerous man try that peanut butter porter i hear it's awesome is the beer is great you can replicate the beer but can you replicate the people i mean it's the what makes our beer what makes our industry special is the people yeah. would you agree with that oh 100 percent. yeah I, I think it comes down to uh the people that make it um so i don't know uh, never tried to open up two breweries at the same time i've never tried to like go across the coast literally and uh hire people that i think are going to make the same product uh, so that we make if, uh, if dangerous man has a, a minneapolis facility uh that john's gonna run and stay here and lee opens up the 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 Asheville uh facility i mean that's still dangerous man right i mean is it is it the people or is the product or is the brand or the identity lee could like replicate the water supply that we get in minneapolis he can replicate the hops he can replicate all that but 
Um, I think John and Lee will both back me up. They don't brew the beer alone. How many hands touch that beer before it touches your draft lines? Four. Yeah. <laughs> so, but there's three other people there right there that are not the same people. And, I mean, if, if we were to open it, let's say left hand, we're to open up a brewery in, uh, in Berlin or Munich or whatever, if we do, yeah, they're going to be left-hand employees, and yeah, they're going to be one of us, but they're not going to be floating around the brewery, like, talking to the same people that we talk to every, every day, and it's, it's, it's a fine line See, to I, say that. I totally disagree. I, I think that it's, it's company identity, and, and more than anything, I think that it's, it's process. Every brewer I ever talk to is, is process, process, process. If you've got a company identity, if you've got a, a, a process, whether it's in Minneapolis or in Berlin or in Asheville, I think that's that's the same. Well, let's, let's talk perception then. Uh, Toppling Goliath just moved all production facilities back to Decorah, where they used to be contract brewing out in Florida. How many people have you heard say that the beer tastes so much better, even though it's out of De- now that it's out of Decorah, when it's literally the same liquid? I don't know. I don't talk to anybody about the the beer coming out of Florida. I, I, you tell me. I'm I'm just saying. I've heard a lot of people say it tastes a lot better, and maybe it does. I don't know. I just wonder, like, when you stretch, like, how do you do quality control? How do you how do I you agree. Like, how do you maintain what you want on the finished product? Uh, when you're 4,000 miles away. I, I, I think mean? there's a great deal of heart in craft beer. Sure. Uh, and very specifically into independent craft because there's a lot of fake craft out there now. Like Breckenridge, uh, Golden Road, uh, all these places are brewing in multiple places around the country now. They're not brewed out of their main facilities. How can I taste the heart in my beer, Joe? Well, I'm just saying that there's (laughs) something that you actually feel behind that. You know, it tastes like a dirty tap one. You you have a (laughs) connection. Well, one of the one of the things we touched on was uh, that people will drink beer because they feel you know something uh, connection to to that locality. Yeah, and. Honestly, man, if I were to have a Polliner uh, Oktoberfest and I found out that it was brewed in, you know, Utica, New York, I'd be like, well, what the hell am I drinking then? No, you I, know, I, I want I, it to be out of I Munich. I totally agree with that. I totally agree. There's, there's the, that, not only the, the, the taste, but there's also the, so much of, of beer and craft beer is, is the, the perception and not just the perception, but the reality and, and the romanticism behind the experience. It's, it's, if I'm drinking uh, an Oktoberfest, I want it to be shipped from overseas. I want it to be from, from Munich, right? I don't want to be tricked. I don't want to be fooled. That's why you've got people who have lawsuits over what's printed on the can because I'm being sold a line of BS. Yeah, was, so this, we have, uh, was this actually brewed in Indiana or was it brewed in Iowa and put into a barrel? This is why we have every single import Guinness that we drink in the, in, uh, the United States is from Canada. It's imported, eh? but it's brewed in Canada. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a thing to be said about transparency. It's whether you choose to, as the brewery, the company, what have you, to be transparent or not. It's like, is it being brewed on site here, or could it be your satellite locations? Like, as a company, what do you want to disclose? I guess like what? Yeah, I guess what do you want the statement to be? 
And yeah. I'll tell you this, uh, from everything I've heard from Greg uh, out of Stone, I'm really excited to eventually try and import Stone. <laughs> I, I, I really am, because it sounds like they're not gonna, they are gonna make some of their core brands, but they're gonna make it very clear that came out of Berlin, you know. And it's like if they, and they cool. are gonna make some unique beers out of Berlin that they're not gonna make out of San Diego, and I'll be down for trying some of those, you know, import imported Stone. No. Because, I, I mean, anybody that's ever paid attention to the beer industry, uh, Greg Cook is a fascinating person to follow. Oh, <laughs> very outspoken, very opinionated. He's an amazing guy. I mean, not only on Twitter, but it, it, in person. He's he's a dude who you talk to and it's like, is is he crazy or is he brilliant? And it's yes. fun to try, to try to make that distinction. Uh, yeah. I, I had one interaction with him uh, back to when I worked at Harriet Brewing in South. I was working in the, the tasting room and he came in with a an arrogant bastard hat. Really old. And the last photo I saw of him, he was clean shaven. And he had his now like signature beard that he's had forever. But he came up and I out of sight, out of mind. Didn't even think of it. I just all I said was like, "Hey, man, that's a really rad hat." Awesome, thanks, man. I'm like, it looks really well worn. That's cool. He's like, thanks. And then I don't remember how how she was related to him, but she came and looped arms with him. Like, do you know who this is? This is Greg from Stone. You know Stone, right? And I'm just like, oh, um, should I? Like, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, should I go get my boss? Like, in this situation? Wow, or give <laughs> yeah. you a free beer or a line of credit? No, I, like, or... I didn't change, like, <laughs> my... I was like, oh, it's great to meet you, man. And all I said was like, do, do you want to, like, do you want to meet my boss? Like, he's like, no, dude, I just, I'm here to just enjoy beer, just hang out. I'm like, cool, I, I respect your decision, but... But now knowing that it is, it's nice to meet you, man, and still stands. It's a really rad hat. <laughs> so and it's it's you know the the steps that he's taken, be it you know brewing a beer like Arrogant Bastard before things were the way they are now in craft beer or breaking ground in Berlin. There's there's definite kudos to be given to a guy like like Greg Cook or or a guy you know other visionaries within the industry who take those chances who who pave those waves people who who take the risks because failing isn't easy uh, and that's the risk you really take whether it's your your mortgage or your loans or your investors that's what those people put on the line when when they take those chances so it's it's neat to meet a visionary like greg and other people within the industry it's it's fantastic, and honestly, I'm stoked uh, about the fact that they're opening up a brewery over there because they were the first American craft brewery to be like, hey, we're doing an American craft brewery in Berlin. One thing that I learned when I was over there is uh, the Napa Valley of beer in Germany is in East Germany. There's no East Germany anymore, Joe. I know, but what we now <laughs> know as uh, East Germany from uh, Leipzig uh, down to, is uh, it Hamburg? I'm going to get this wrong. But East Germany what like, makes it the Napa Valley of, of beer so over the there. Napa Valley, the Napa Valley is Napa Valley because <laughs> that's where the like, thing where the most. The Napa Valley of beer in the United States is uh, the area between Fort Collins and Denver where there's way more breweries than anywhere else than people. It's insane how many breweries are there now. I just saw a Facebook post today that there are five new breweries slated to open this year in Loveland, Colorado, wow. which is a town in between Fort Collins and Longmont. 
I'm not talking about in between Fort Collins and Denver. I mean in between Fort Collins and Longmont, which are literally 30 miles away. Wow. So there's five new breweries opening there. It's and it's it's insane, but. The idea is a concentration of breweries, right? Uh, Oregon's got it from their, you know, their entire coastline is, like, littered with breweries. Um, (laughs) Maybe a bad word. Uh, Vermont's (laughs) got breweries all over the place, the highest brewery per capita rate in the country. But if you're talking about a concentration of breweries in a geographic area, Fort Collins to Denver, I think there are, at this point, more than 270 breweries. That's, That's a little bit. Yeah, and when Left Hand opened, there were, four <laughs> wow. so I mean it's it's the, it's what we've affectionately called the Napa Valley of beer but the Napa Valley of beer in Germany is in East Germany which if you think about it kind of makes sense because there wasn't uh, old adherence to the old brands you know there is no the, there was wasn't the old brands from Cologne where yeah. you get the Kolsch styles there wasn't the old brands from uh, South Southwest Germany where you get you know Bitburger and all the old German-style Pilsners, or Munich, where you get, you know, Polliner, Hacker's Shore, yeah, those brands didn't Augustiner, closer. Did uh, I mean, it's they're they're everywhere, man. I mean, it's it's insane. But there's this, you know, entrepreneurial craft beer spirit out there. And one thing I did learn out there is they're very similar to a lot of young, you know, industries. Like, you know, Iowa, I think, is a little bit behind Minnesota, as is Wisconsin, as far as uh, the qual- the, the median, you know, level of craft beer. Not, not so much that they aren't making great craft beer, but Minnesota had a pretty good brewing tradition with Summit and Surly kind of leading the way in... Iowa, there was there's no standard bear. In Wisconsin, it was New Glarus, but New Glarus's you know bell cow is spotted cow. If New Glarus's bell cow was Moonman, which is a fantastic beer, you know the Wisconsin craft brewing scene might look totally different than it does right now. Yeah, it's a valid point. So I think I think I'm about out of beer. We talked a ton today about. Are we tapped out? Every ta- I see what you did there. Nice pun. <laughs> I see what you did there. I want to go around the uh, the horn and just get your guys' predictions on. I don't know. I guess where Minnesota in particular is going to be uh, in the craft beer world industry in the next 10 years. Where, where do you think we'll be 2028, 20, Joe Shea? You're starting with me, the guy yeah. that sells a Colorado beer? Yeah. In Minnesota. Um, honest to God, I think that uh, Minnesota craft beer is in really good hands. Um, the trick is going to be uh, market saturation and where people can go from here because the a lot of people have this bad misconception that People opening up craft brewers are uh, craft breweries are home brewers. A lot of the times, it's people that work for craft breweries that are sick of making somebody else's recipes and want to get off on their own. You know, and they are talented brewers that want to do their own thing. So I think that because we do have a great number of really good craft breweries in Minnesota, uh, which is a detriment to my personal <laughs> sales. Um, we're going to be in a really good shape. And I also think we're going to be celebrating at least three or four uh, Super Bowls by then. And, and the other thing I'm going to ask is the, the beer in your fridge right now that you don't sell. 
The beer in my fridge that I don't sell right now. Do it. <laughs> Do it. I, I know it hurts. Yeah, I was gonna say it's, uh, honest to God, believe it's a like, that John gave me like two months ago that I haven't opened. I have a hard time drinking away from home. <laughs> All right. I, I don't drink at home that often. I, I like to drink at Grumpy's. Right, Grumpy's is a great drunk place when he gets beer. there. Barley, 10 years from now, where are we at? Yo, you know, even before 10 years from now, I think the future of Minnesota craft beer is going to be more sours. Sours is really going to be the thing that's going to eclipse, maybe not eclipse, but it will rival the, the, the IPAs. Um, there's a lot of great sours out there right now, and we love making sours, and we love making approachable sours, and people think of a sour as something that's unapproachable, mm-hmm. and they think it's, oh, that's way too weird for me. You know, and, and yes, it is a beer that doesn't taste like beer. You know, the, the dryness and the tartness of it does put a lot of people off that are familiar with just drinking a, a beer or an ale or something like that that is that is balanced and has heartiness and things like that. But a great sour is a great beer, and especially will, uh, a great palate cleanser I'll between beers. I'll back onto that because as, as the most casual beer drinker of this group, I've got more and more of my friends in the last couple months uh, asking me because they what know is, I'm associated with the show, hey, yeah. what do you think of sours? Hey, yeah. I, trust, I just tried a few sours, and, yeah. and I and, really kind of liked it. We're, and they're, again, they're, they want to learn more about it. Absolutely, and to the public out there, don't give up. Don't give up on trying sours because you may have some that taste horrible it'll take a few yeah it takes <laughs> it might take a few you know and it does it I mean, really I does like sweeter sour because a lot of people make sa- the sour is the most technically difficult beer to make it is very very difficult to make a great sour and a lot of people put their put something out there that isn't quite quite you know a great sour mm-hmm. but it, it is worth exploring and try it any place you go to any place you go to will give you a splash sample and I encourage everyone to try a splash sample before you get that pint you know get a splash sample see if you like it because a sour isn't to everyone's palate but it is the thing that I think is the the future of of great beer in not only in the state of Minnesota but in the the U.S. I think there's a lot of great sour makers in the U.S. and and again making them approachable is what's making the sour industry get, gain traction and actually be something that's going to be a real thing in in the near future. It's already been growing. It's been growing in leaps and bounds even over the last couple of years. And, and making that approachable sour is, is what I think is the key today. And, and the beer in your fridge that you don't sell? The beer in the fridge that I don't sell... <laughs> Is that Bartles and James that my wife likes? <laughs> Good enough. That'll do. That's it. That'll do. Lee, your predictions. Ten years from now, twenty years. Where are we at? State of beer in Minnesota. Ten years from right now. Yes, sir. Uh, this day, talking, Leroy. Yeah, we're talking about. Like, we're probably going to be here on the patio at Grumpy's, like, but I mean the industry as a whole. A few more grays. <laughs> we're talking about like hoverboards and like surfing cars. Flying cars. And, like, Dude, that time already passed. Flying oh, Ubers. There's no pink hoverboards. Exactly. Uh, I don't know. I just got back from Oregon. And uh, I was in Austin earlier this year, uh, and there's breweries that make like solid to style beers, and then there's Jester King and Cascade uh, that are mixing just a bunch of stuff. They're doing live from the barrel kind of things. So I think Minnesota, we're not that old. 
they're like five years ahead of us as far as maturity goes. Uh, so I think breweries are going to kind of start differentiating. We think you need to diversify. Yeah, there's going to be breweries that make solid, solid freaking beers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a style, and there's going to be uh, breweries that make this weird stuff that you've never had. I think that's where we're going to be in five years. Like, the next five, I don't know. Sounds good. We'll take it. The beer in your fridge that you do not sell or make. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Riley from Surly just dropped off a bunch of Furious for free. So there you go. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking John of Minnesota, um, look at that crystal ball. I don't know. I'm not to be a cop out or piggyback on Lee, but <laughs> it's so good. And that and this this industry is so progressive and innovative. There is something literally coming out. I don't want to say every day, but like every other month. It's like I don't. I have never heard of that. Like whether you're following. Whomever on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the next best thing or the next cool thing is always out there. It's like, I, I would have never thought of that. That's amazing. And that also places here that riff off of um, um, places regionally or around the country. Why are you pointing at yourself, Joe? <laughs> like left hand. Oh, is, what, uh, left, left hand? Is that what you're sure Never heard of him. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, like homages to things around the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, you know, witnessed and we've done too, like the milkshake IPAs we've done. Mm-hmm. I mean, they took off. They're fun to make. Yeah. They're, they're fun for consumers. They're fun for us to make as brewers. And Flash in the pan are here to stay. I think here to stay for a while. I yeah, I agree. They're not the Cascadian dark ales of the uh, the <laughs> IPA world. They're coming back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they might Black be. IPAs are back. Black IPAs are back. Cascadian dark ales. <laughs> and the uh, the beer in your fridge that you don't make or sell, John. Uh, right now, kind of honestly low on. Well, I actually have a lot of Hammerheart bottles in my fridge right now, as far as things I sitting on and waiting for the right time to share with people but to drink immediately firebrick oh. a lot of firebrick in my fridge man after my own heart i am i'm a big sucker for shells in general and i love firebrick uh i i've been remiss in stocking up on firebrick it's usually my answer to that question yeah is, like i don't firebrick. i honestly don't go to liquor or beer stores a lot anymore but when i do it's almost like being reintroduced i'm like i don't even know what the hell's on shelves right now from local yeah. to regional i just it's like kid in a candy store all over again i'm like ah i don't know what to get well, I'm you've get got a the same problem i do so stuff. i don't go much to liquor stores when stuff shows up on my doorstep so it's like i know what's new by what shows up right like i'm why would i go to the liquor store if i get plenty of beer that shows up. It's true, and for like those of us that do work at a brewery or for a brewery, when we get so much of our own stuff for free and we enjoy it, it's like (laughs) it's kind of hard to go out and spend money, but also at times you do want to. It's like, I want to go support other regionals, other locals, things that I enjoy, and again, going there, it's like, ooh, what the hell? What right. the hell can I get now? There's so much stuff. Yeah. So. It's tough. It's tough it when is. you go you go someplace that's got a great selection. It's 
you know, looking at all the different. Every, there's always something new. It you is. Know, and, I, and that's my Going thing. I like trying like something new. And, like innovation too. There's so much stuff out but there. I, I got to back this up. I, I don't drink a lot at home because I drink a lot outside of the home. And there are amazing Minnesota breweries. I, I've touched on it before. Mad respect for Dangerous Man. I've been to your tap room many times. Uh, and, you know, there's... You can't stop. There's always something new that Minnesota breweries are putting out there. Um, also, the Colorado breweries are putting out there that you maybe should try, like the Juicy Goodness, which is hey amazing. Hey, man, left-hand milk stouts. <laughs> left-hand milk stout is delicious. Absolutely love it. Oh, God, just marry it already. We and talked about the left-hand milk stout all day. <laughs> and if you know a brewery or a tap room uh, or a distillery or, or even a winery you want to hear on the Minnesota Beer Cast, hit us up on Twitter, MN underscore Beer Cast. You can find us on social media all over the place. Uh, visit the website. Let us know. Uh, we're always looking for uh, new guests, different guests, folks we haven't had on before. Uh, if you're enjoying their product and you think they'd uh, enjoy a, a segment or two on the show, let us know. Hit us up. Yeah, that's why we're here. We're here to highlight all the amazing things that are going on in Minnesota. And uh, if there's some amazing things going on that we don't know about, you need to let us know. And uh, let's let's close it up here, Drew. Let's let's order one more round. I'm uh, I will close it out with saying the the beer in my fridge that I last bought. Uh, came from Town Hall during their Barrel Age week. How about you? Honestly, the last beer I bought was Summit. I was went to the store and they had the uh, they had the Summit 24 pack of uh, of like four different uh, four of their different styles. I was like, I can't pass that up. It was like 16.99 for a 24 pack of Summit. I, I wasn't walking away from that. Prices effect. Nothing wrong with that. And so was good beer. That was a fun show. I think we set a record for the longest beer cast uh, <laughs> ever. Nice job, All right, guys. Well done. Glad to be part of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna it. wrap it up for this episode. Again, hit us up on social media. Find us at the Rock. Rochester Craft Beer Expo. Uh, crawfish boil coming up on the 26th. Don't miss it. Uh, look for that amazing collaboration. The Zilsner. The Zilsner. Art of World. Dangerous to uh, Thank you to our guests. Thank, thank you to Grumpies. Yeah, thanks to Tony. Yeah. Thanks to Joe. Thanks to John. Thanks to Lee. Thanks to Barley. Yeah. We'll see you next week. Time. See ya. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ear. I like beer. It makes me a jolly.